0: Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss. So please listen with care. Silent mystery. I'm Jen Burgard, your host. And following my own personal tragedy, founded Haven Landscape of Loss. We are telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives on surviving grief. When our guest today began to make plans for her family, they were upended at the start. What she thought was a checkbox she had dutifully completed was actually just the beginning of a decade long battle with grief and joy. Listen to a true survivor's story with us today. Welcome, Sarah Smith Warren. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much to Jen and Haven. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this podcast is here for this very reason. I'm so excited about having connected with you through a mutual friend so randomly and you just reaching out. And so I'm so glad to have you here. Can you tell
1: us a little bit about you and and what you do and where you're from. Yeah, I am from Spirit Lake Nation, which is on the Dakota Reservation in central North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Grew up on a ranch there, high school, and was in a very small community. So rural North Dakota, middle of nowhere, wide open skies and fields and and all that stuff. So that's where I'm from. Yeah, I'm just recently moved back to Fargo-Moorhead This is where my husband and I went to college, kind of connected here, our first jobs, and after lots of other school, travel, life, we sort of were ready for another adventure. And so we came back to the area, and I'm really happy to be here. There's an energy here, and I think after everything that we've been through the last decade, we were ready. Mm -hmm. We were ready for a new energy We were ready to maybe be the people that we hoped we could someday be after Mm -hmm. everything. Taking chances and risks and doing different things has really been a huge part of our grief journey. Jake and I's where anything is possible, let's say. And we were in spaces where we felt really stuck or sometimes the grieving process is so heavy that you cannot get out of it. And it was through conversations. It was through working with our counselor. It was through imagining other ways to be and other things to do. And Mm -hmm. it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to move. It's okay to change dreams. It's okay to opt out of Christmas one year, because Mm -hmm. it's too painful. Mm -hmm. When we moved back to our small area, our small community, rural community, 10 years ago, and that was our dream at that point. Move home, settle down, have a family by our family, be out in the middle of nowhere. That was our dream. Sounds like a dream. And I think the hard thing is realizing that there's many different dreams and When life happens, you kind of have to roll with it and it's okay to let go, try to go in some different directions. Mm -hmm. So 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. that is really where a new, let's say, long chapter, a decade of loss, grief, trauma, love, hope, devastation, (laughs) we embarked on that. We had been traveling for two years around the country. He was a traveling occupational therapist. We had an amazing adventure. And we're like, you know what? We're ready. We're ready to have a family and start this next phase. I think we were about 30, 31. And really without really trying, we got pregnant right away, even before we had moved back. And so it was really early. And so we didn't tell anybody. And when we drove back into the state of North Dakota, and we're coming home to our new home, that we our first home, we were coming home to our family and friends. And, you know, we were one of the older People in our family and community to have kids. So everyone was sort of waiting. We were that couple, Mm -hmm. you know. We were like, kids, no, we're going to travel. We're going to have fun. We're going to do this and this and this. And so we were just so excited to share this news. And we did with that day. We drove into Fargo, told um, our siblings who were there. And the next day we were driving home to our parents to tell them. Mm -hmm. And we had an appointment, our first appointment. We were 14 weeks. And we went and there was no heartbeat. Oh, my gosh. And that was the day we drove back into North Dakota. And it was shocking. And we also like know everybody's like, oh, you know, miscarriage or oh, 12 weeks or oh, this and that. So even though you know that it's a possibility, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You've already started building a future. You've already started welcoming that part of you that part of you both your future dreaming yeah. yeah so that was really devastating and we called our parents and said we were supposed to tell you we were pregnant but i'm calling to tell you we lost our baby and so the day we moved into our house i you know sat on or laid on the carpet with cramping and and all the things following a dnc and so there was a lot of loss from the day we moved yeah. in Yeah. But we were building a life and we were part of a new community and we really did our best to jump into life there. We were living on a family farm. We weren't farming, but we were living on a family farm and just looking to nature and for some healing. And a couple months later, we found ourselves pregnant again. And we were excited and cautious and terrified, of course. Mm -hmm. And we made it to the first appointment and everything was great. And this was happening. Yeah. This is happening. This is, okay. We had a decent pregnancy. You know, everything went pretty, pretty well until the last, I would say, eight weeks when I started having a lot of high blood pressure. I think looking back, well, I know looking back from what I've been told that it looks like I had preeclampsia and was not being treated for it. Mm. So there was no ultrasounds, there was no extra tests, there was no measurements, there was no anything. And so when it came to being induced on my due date, which with preeclampsia, a lot of times they recommend at least two weeks early. And to really kind of move through this process, the story, it was a tough labor with no epidural, and lots and lots of Pitocin, which I think my body just, oh Inductions are rough. Oh my right? gosh. I mean, and I had no idea. So in between being like out of your mind with pain, and it's the middle of the night, and you're up all night, there was a moment when we were so close, and it was going to happen. He was so close to, to being here. Actually, I think, you know what, I just, I just, can I read something? Please do. Sarah has brought her journal with her, and I'm I am so,
0: so grateful (laughs) that you've brought
1: this. I was looking through it and a lot of things I've forgotten Mm -hmm. that I wrote, that I, you know, it brings everything back, but I just, I found this and I thought, you know what, this is such a, I I wrote it, it looks like a little over a year after it happened, this particular passage. And that was, I guess, when I was ready to write it. Wow. The morning of the induction, the induction wasn't happening until 6 p.m., And so it was like the longest agonizing day (laughs) was finally happening. And this is where it starts because I was laying in the bathtub and where our bathtub was, there was a window and the sun was just beaming right in on top of my belly, right on top of him. And so this is where I start. I lay in the bath with sunbeams poured on me, on you. I could hardly believe that by tomorrow you would be in my arms the torturous anticipation, the innocent and sweet trepidation, ignorant fear of a new mother. The bags were packed, the cribs set up, your clothes washed and put away. We only waited on you. The giddiness as we took the last of the belly picks and packed your hospital outfit. Tomorrow we would meet you. Tomorrow we will be mom and dad. We will never return here alone. It's called labor for a reason. It's hard and daunting work, full of worry and physical tests that you you don't believe that you will pass. I see his worry as he feeds me. Ice chips, sips, cools my head. I scream and moan and the occasional fuck comes out in my true fashion. All while knowing you are at the end of the torture tunnel. It will all be worth it when they set you on my chest. This is what I've been told. This is the moment I've been waiting for my whole life to be in. I push you out with a final scream. That moment, that one moment, you were out, the pain was gone, and I looked at Jake as if to say, We did it. Our life finally complete. Even a smile spread on my sweaty lips and tears as I turned to you to my baby. Now is my moment to hold you on the outside of my body to finally be yours and you ours. But time seems to stop. My ears get muffled and a sickening feeling washes over me. Why aren't you calling my name? Why aren't you in my arms? Why aren't I comforting your frantic cries? The silence is so deafening. The silence, the stillness is so stifling. My breath has stopped Along with yours, were you ever really ours to be in this world? And that's where I stopped writing that day. And that was really exactly what happened. Thank you for sharing that
0: passage with us. I know.
1: Thank you, Sarah, from you know, eight years ago for 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 writing that down. Writing that down. For writing that down.
0: Because we don't always remember, you know, some of those details and they escape us, especially eight years. You know, eight years ago, you sat and you said, I want to remember this. Mm -hmm. And I I want to document these moments, my thoughts, you know, exactly how I felt when it happened.
1: It's interesting to see that it took me a full year Mm -hmm. to even be able to write it. Right. So what, what actually happened? His death is still sort of a mystery. Really? After meeting with the doctors afterwards, one doctor, my primary person, She was not there on the birth, Mm -hmm. but the person who was responsible for my care really, this was so disappointing. And I'm sure she was hurting. Mm -hmm. I'm sure doctors are not used to losing babies, but she really wouldn't speak to me at all. It was really disappointing. It really was devastating to feel like this was a normal thing. Yeah. So she wouldn't provide any details. She would just say I wasn't there. And I'm sure she didn't want to get sued or 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 whatever. I don't know. We actually had a few physicians that we consulted with afterwards who looked at our charts and said, you know, you should get a lawyer. <laughs> and at that point, it was our baby is dead. Yeah. We are barely getting up every day. I I can't. I'm not. I won't. If I thought somebody was malicious and some, you know, maybe. But right. I think there was errors in judgment with my care. So from what another doctor told us who was there is that I had preeclampsia and really wasn't treated for it. Sure, And I think the Pitocin was too hard on his body that maybe wasn't quite developed. The other hard thing is when something like this happens, you don't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. I had been up for, I don't know how many hours, like 30 at that point. Intense pain, intense grief, intense shock. Yeah. And they're like, do you want an autopsy? Do you want this? Do you want that? Ugh. And I'm like, I, I don't even. Yeah, your judgment isn't I, no. clear in any in, way. Anyway. Right. And in hindsight, I wish we would have gotten an autopsy. Yeah. But at the time, we were just in too much shock. And we just, we were really fortunate that in that room, who, a, a woman who, a nurse who came on shift in the early morning hours at six. I can't say good things about the nurses during my care, but at 6 a.m., a new nurse came on. She was with us all that morning. And she knew exactly what to do. Unfortunately, probably from experience. Right. And she brought us our baby. She took my camera out of my bag and took photographs. Oh. These are just things that would have never entered my mind. You don't go into a pregnancy thinking, what if this happens? What if this happens? No. No, am, I gonna, am I going to need a funeral outfit? Am I going to need to think about an autopsy? <laughs> None of those things. Yeah. So, I'm really grateful that she took the time and care. And also the doctor, you know, again, women before my time were not given that gift of holding their, their deceased children. Very true. Yeah. They weren't even allowed to see them, to speak of them. And so I'm grateful for that nurse and for that doctor for giving me that, giving us that opportunity. You know, what really came afterwards was intense and, you know, and so many of your listeners know, intense fog, pain, suffering, (laughs) just something you've never experienced before. Right. Right. There was another baby born at the same time. Also, this was in a kind of a smaller area. It's a smaller hospital. So there was no NICU. There was no team of people to take that baby and do everything they possibly could.
0: Because you weren't diagnosed with the issue that you had. Right.
1: Had you been diagnosed, you would have been at a bigger hospital. I likely would have been. Absolutely. All the precautions would have been taken. And actually, I believe some of their policy changed after our son Boyd died in terms of they will not. You know, they induce earlier. They they have to go to Grand Forks. They so yeah. So at the same time, that same night, there was a baby born, and or that morning actually, I think it was like eight in the morning. And I was like, I can't stay here. I cannot be here and hear another baby cry. It, I just couldn't do it. And they said, okay, well, you have to you have to stay until you like eat and poop and your blood pressure goes down. And you know, I you know, did everything that I could so that I could leave. And going home with Jake to an empty home was just, it was really unbelievable. You're just in a state of shock. And also we should look, but that was the winter of 2013 or 14. He died in 2013 in December. And it was like one of the coldest on record And so we lived in the middle of nowhere and we did a lot of hibernating. We did a lot of hiding. We did a lot of surviving with Netflix and gin and tonics and food. And
0: that is devastating isolation. It was. I mean, I can just, I'm picturing it and, you know, this cold, the vastness and the sky and the land in North Dakota, right? But You look outside and all you can see is snow and nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes
1: it's nothing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we lived out in the country. So the nearest town was like 30 miles away. I think a little bit we were grateful for that to like hide away and maybe that's what we needed at the time. Moving forward, we then found it to be isolating and it was sort of hurting our moving forward because we were self isolating too mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. after a couple of years and that's when we realized okay we need to make a change and we moved into town and into a community where we can we could be start hopefully coming alive a little bit more yeah mm-hmm. wow you know
0: you just speak to it so well kind of how those feelings are and and you get to a point thankfully you know that you felt like we need to do something better
1: right and that was not easy this was a family farm it was where my mother was raised my grandfather was raised there it was very important property to our family and I was like well when we move there we'll live there forever right I don't know why I thought that but I just did probably because you know my parents are still at the same place where I was raised and so I was like yeah we'll just live there forever that'll be our life And so letting go of that was hard for me. It was really hard for me. And it took a lot of work with a therapist. And it was really brave of Jake to say, I can't stay here anymore. It's full of too much heartache.
0: Gosh, loss just changes
1: everything, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Loss like that,
0: love like that, changes everything. I mean you have this plan and you would envisioned, you know, hibernating with your baby, you yeah. know, over the winter months and then spring mm-hmm. comes and oh, you know. Yeah. It's so different and it just it has the ability to just upend everything that you ever thought with everything important or plans, right all of it.
1: You are a forever different person. Forever. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about this in depth with like my sisters or our parents, if they're able to. Mm-hmm. Because I often say that Sarah and Jake are no more. They will never be. Mm-hmm. And for a couple years, they were nowhere to be found. I was reading another passage this morning in my journal, and it was about Jake and watching your partner also go through the worst time of their life, as you know, is so hard. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to see a shell of a person. It's hard to be a shell of a person. It's hard to watch it, as I'm sure it was really right. hard for our families and friends to watch us. Right. But when
0: neither of you, you know, as a, as a couple, a partnership, right, in, in parenting and then this loss, when neither of you can be the strong one right because you're both so broken how how can you lift one another up you know i think i think that's interesting and i think every couple of course handles that differently and goes through different challenges but I, the basis of it is still the same you know is that both individuals are broken yeah how do you try to fix broken
1: from broken absolutely how do you you have no strength To get out of bed yourself, Mm -hmm. how do you try to help when you're in the worst place of your life? How do you help other people in the worst place of their lives? Right. I think that's Um, why where we we rely on family and friends, right? Absolutely, and we relied on our therapist. People, you know, now it's kind of a joke when I say this. I I call her the C word, Carol. You know, because people (laughs) are like, "Oh God, she's going to mention Carol again," (laughs) because. It made a difference in our lives. There's a lot of couples that don't survive. Right. And I'm sure that that's what they need for their journey and whatever they need. You know, I respect. Mm-hmm. Yep. We wanted to survive together. We inherently knew that someday we wanted to be happy. And that was our driving force. And I knew that in order to get to that someday, there was a whole lot of work that had to be done. And I did not know the first thing of how to do it. As a type A personality, I wanted all the books. I wanted to read everything. And I did. And yes, it gave me lots of knowledge. And yes, there were things that made me feel less alone. But damn. Didn't fix it. Didn't fix anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as a type A fixer, that's what I was looking for i said okay there's no way we can get the, through this by ourselves and i remember calling like our small town but not not our small town but a community close to us for therapy and i specifically asked it was on a particular day when i was feeling you know those days where you just the rage sort of takes oh, yeah. over yeah. it was a rage day yeah. and i called and i wanted i was specifically asking like okay tell me about your counselors. Is there anyone experienced in grief? Is anyone an experienced grief counselor? And she said, well, no, but they've all taken their classes. And at that moment, I was like, oh, hell no. And I'm sure they are lovely people who can help people. I have no doubt. Absolutely. Yes. But there was no way I was going to sit across from someone who has never wanted to die after Bearing their child to try to tell me how to navigate that pain. It wasn't going to happen for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one of my best friends had been through a traumatic situation. She had worked with a specific person in Fargo and said, you know what, maybe you should. Luckily, I reached out to my friend and she said, maybe you should reach out to Carol. She's been through a lot. And it was when I found out that. She herself had suffered a loss. Is when I was like, That is a survivor. She's a survivor. She has done it all. She has felt it all. She has navigated it all. And she's sitting here. She's here. She's alive. She's thriving, or at least from the outside, you know, from what I could see. And I wanted to work with a survivor.
0: And she's helping. Right. Not only is she surviving for herself, she's helping others. She's right, helping. Right? others. So she must be I I might need Carol's number. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> we all do. We all need Carol's number. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's so important because it's little moments like that, it's little things like that that mark grief timelines, right? Mm. As you as you move through those timelines. Yes, this is the moment that I met someone mm-hmm. that that helped me see the light again, It told me that I might make it too, this
1: is the moment that it changed. That is absolutely true. And Jake, bless his heart and his bravery, that was not something that he immediately wanted to do. Who wants to? Who wants to go sit in a room and talk about the worst day and the worst pain of their lives? Mm -hmm. It's not fun, people. Mm Mm-mm. It no. is not fun. No. It is necessary. But he knew like common sense wise, Jake's a very common sense person. So he knew, oh my gosh, something terrible has happened. We don't know what to do. You seek help. So he had said, yes, I'm I'm going to go. I'll go to the first one. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, okay, thank you for coming to the first one. And we'll go from there. And because we drove a couple hours to the appointment, we did two hours every time we went. And from the first day, after the first day, oh gosh, it was hard. I mean, we we cried for two hours. That's mm-hmm. exhausting. It is. But when we left that room, Jake said, that was amazing. Yes, we will be going back. And we did for years. We still, we still see Carol, oh, sometimes together, Carol. sometimes apart. I mean, yeah, t- changed the course of everything. We were not alone anymore. We were not crazy anymore. And she was able to help us see that, help us remember, help us to put one foot in front of the other. Don't try to see two years from now. Try to see today. Try to see tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. That was one of the things she said all the time. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to each other. And so that really started the process of us, I'm not even going to say healing, 'Cause I feel like healing came way later. Yeah. I'm gonna say surviving. Yeah,
0: and validation. Surviving. It sounds yes. like sounds like validation. And no, I'm not crazy. Yes, these feelings are normal. Yes, I can continue to move through this and, and whatever pace it is and whatever that looks like is normal.
1: Yeah. There was I wanna say I don't know how many days after, but a few days after our boy died. I got a call from a woman in the community. I really didn't know her. I knew who she was. I didn't know her story. But she called and left a voicemail and said, I'm so sorry. And I see you. We lost a daughter at 20 weeks. This is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Like it wasn't an uplifting message. But it was one of the realest things. And I needed to hear it. That was huge for me. Someone like Oh my God! Someone understands the significance of this pain, and understands that I am now in hell.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's amazing. I mean, I think, I think as as someone who as this woman, you know, ha- had experienced loss, and she didn't know you, but heard about your loss, and said. I know this woman needs to hear from someone else who's experienced loss because that was me. And I think that's something so amazing that all of us can do for unfortunately all the women that are coming after us, right? Mm-hmm. There there are women today, tomorrow, next week that are losing their children. Yes. And unfortunately, that's just the world we live in right now. And what a gift for us to be able to, you know, not just you and I, but anyone listening, you know, that's experienced loss to reach out in an empathetic way and a thoughtful way just saying I'm
1: here I get it Mm -hmm. and I see you and I see you and it's not just for people who lose children or babies or it's any loss Mm -hmm. I see you Mm -hmm. and I understand you're going to be in hell for a long time and I'm here to walk through it with you however you need me to a couple weeks later I don't even know the timeline but we went to a basketball game In our tiny town. And, you know, rural North Dakota, everyone knows everyone. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a hard thing. You're not, like, going out with your pain in a room full full of strangers who just, like, don't care, which sometimes can be really comforting. Anonymity is beautiful sometimes. Yes. I found that it was seeing people for the first time that was one of the hardest things for me. This is why probably people have funerals. We had a very small funeral, just our immediate family. A lot of people were like, oh my gosh, I would have loved to have been there for you. I would have to be there. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, I can't get through this at all. So I can't imagine how people have have these big funerals and and, but I get it. I understand. And now I'm like, oh, it's so they can really see everybody (laughs) on one terrible day and get it done with. And so it was going back out into the community and seeing people that was so hard for me because I was walking in a totally different person. Mm -hmm. So I went to this basketball game and I sat on the very top. I didn't want to look or see anybody. And that same woman, she and her husband climbed up to the top of the bleachers and sat next to me and said, you are very brave for being here. You are doing it. And I was like, wow. She saw it. She knew it. She put it into words that I didn't even know. She said, this is an amazing step for you to get out and be here. You should be really proud of yourself. And I I sobbed, but I was like, oh my God, yes, nobody here has any idea how much it took for us to get dressed, go out in public, have people see us, look people in the eyes. And so when she acknowledged that, that was really special.
0: She was able to acknowledge that sheer vulnerability. You guys put yes, yourself in.
1: That I didn't even know. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing yet. Right. <laughs> right? You don't know
0: you're just doing. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. know what you just did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that that meant a lot. I felt seen by yeah. her. And I think that is a gift that all of the people who have experienced deep loss, that is a gift that you have for others. Exactly like you were saying. Yeah. That yeah. you can see people. Yeah. And understand.
0: Yeah. I think we can we can as 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 a humanity, right? We can give that gift to other people. Like you said, it doesn't have to be the death of a child or a baby or the loss of a pregnancy. It doesn't have to be any of those things for you to step up and say, Hey, you know, your whatever situation mm-hmm. you're going through is really hard. Mm-hmm. And I see you. And yep. you know, and just absolutely making that effort I think is so amazing. And mm-hmm. I think We'd be in such a better society if we all just started acknowledging it.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so hard is that a lot of people that haven't been through it don't have that capacity. However, they have the capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. They have the capacity to ask questions. Mm -hmm. They have the capacity to say, what do you need? But a lot of times we don't do that. People don't do that. They turn away. They... Don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. So whatever work policy or however you were used to treating Jen at work before, we'll just continue right along doing that because we don't know what to say. And so it's just business as usual. I'm here to tell you that is not the way to do it. I had a good friend at the time who, one of the first times that we spoke after he died, she's just said, Sarah, I'm so sorry. And I don't know what to do. And so I Googled it. I Googled what to do when your friend loses a baby. And I was like, oh my God, duh, here we have this amazing resource. And that's what she did. And that's that's where she found some resources and sent me some lovely gifts and books and different things that were both comforting as well as empathizing. Um, But I loved that. I loved that that's what she did. She took such a, you know, she took that approach, right? She
0: took the initiative and you can Google anything. You can Google anything. You can Google what to do
1: for your friend when they lose their baby. Yes. Google that. And if you want to know what to do, one thing is to go to Haven because they have now told you what to do. And I love that there is that resource. And I know from family and friends, they wish they would have known what to do. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing you can do. Look out, look like Google, ask. Also, if you're working with someone who has suffered a loss like that, you do need to ask. And maybe they're not in this space where they wanna talk about it, but maybe it's an email, maybe it's a letter, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but you need to ask, what do you need? Mm-hmm. What are your needs now moving forward? Because the gen that they hired is not the gen that's coming into work every day.
0: Very different person.
1: Very different person. And that was sort of one of my inspirations for starting Soul Space Work, my work, which is valuing the whole human in work, in life. When I went back to work, I was really lucky. I was executive director of a small nonprofit doing community development. It was like really, you know, out there work where it was like lots of in the communities and events and da-da-da. And I had such a supportive board. I had a really supportive assistant and they, I think, accepted really well that I wasn't the same person. And some days I was going to be there and some days I wasn't. I think forever, I mean, for the next several years, Jake and I, neither one of us ever worked on a Tuesday again. It was a day that, again, of course, Carol's idea, that was for us, that was for grieving, that was for when we would drive to Fargo to do our day with counseling and have lunch and be together or whatever. It was for us just being together. It was for us recuperating from just getting out of the bed <laughs> the day before. Anyway, but I, I was really lucky to have a board that supported me and coworkers that supported me because it would have been really easy To say, well, why aren't you here every, why are you not working on Tuesdays? Even though I was making up the hours, blah, blah, blah. But it could have been really easy because people will see things in black and white or they'll see things how society wants them to see things. And so I so valued that they valued my humanity and what I needed at that time. And they trusted me that I was doing the work. And I still did the work. I still, like lots of things were still getting done. I don't know how, but they were happening in fact, a year later, I was in my office and I asked uh, my assistant, "Hey, are we going to do that newsletter again? Who did it last year? Whoever did it last year should like pull it up and and do a draft." And she said, "You did it last year, Sarah." And I said, "What? No, I didn't. I don't. I've never done that. What are you talking about?" She's like, "Sarah, remember you redesigned the whole thing. You rebranded it. Da 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 da." And I was like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." And she pulled it out of the file and handed it to me. When she handed wow. it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. But I had no recollection of what she was talking about.
0: Mm, that I was fog. wild. That fog.
1: That fog. Yeah. I was reading a passage in my journal about the day we buried Boyd because he died December 21st. And so we couldn't bury him until May. And it was all about the day and what we did and the service. And I had forgotten. I had forgotten that everyone put a white flower. I had forgotten that everybody had... It was really beautiful reading yeah, about it, but I had yeah. forgotten. Yeah. Because your your brain and your heart, they just don't have the capacity to hold things. Right. Because they're holding so much.
0: Yeah. It's, it's grief brain, right? So simply oh. described grief brain but there's so much to it there's so much depth there's so many layers right
1: there is and so that's another thing like if you're working with people if you have friends or family who have suffered a loss it's a level of patience and understanding that you need to take it upon yourself to learn about because not only are they not the same person they can't function the same grief physically changes your body it changes it you are, it's, it's like you have, I don't know, like there was this poem that a man wrote after his son had passed away. And he talks about grief as like Sisyphus, the Greek mythology person who's constantly rolling this boulder up a hill only to have it once he gets to the top, he's actually at the bottom again. And then he rolls this heavy stone up the hill. And as soon as he gets to the top, He's actually at the bottom again, and that's what grief is. It is a constant rolling this up. So while you are rolling a stone up a hill all day every day, you're also like making breakfast and doing your job, and you know doing Redesigning all these things. A newsletter. That's right. <laughs> and and so it's like you're doing this whole other physical, physical job work inside outside while you're quote unquote living normal life.
0: Right. You have been living this life right for nine years at this point,
1: yeah, this December will be nine years since yeah. Boyd died. It's about ten years since we first drove back into North Dakota and and, and lost that that baby first, yeah. I was journaling one day thinking like, oh my gosh, why do I feel behind in my career? Why do I feel like I, I'm not good enough or I'm not successful enough or I'm not X, Y, and Z. And I, and I drew a picture <laughs> and I was really astounded at what I drew. And it was a, almost a, at that time, it was like eight years. Cause I think I did this two years ago. It was buy a house, lose a baby, get pregnant within that timeline. Also kind of a crazy neighbor shot both of our dogs. So, okay. I mean, I don't need to tell dog people how devastating that right. was to us. So, that was that was so sad and so Gosh, devastating. Yeah. And then 3 4 months later Boyd dies. And then we navigate this 2 years of just intense grief. Also, will we ever be able to get pregnant again? Will we ever have a child? Will we ever do this? And then did get pregnant again. And then that's followed by nine months of pure torture, I think I maybe took one selfie of me in the bathroom with my belly, that that pregnancy, because I was like, nope, I can't. I don't want any, which is just bizarre and, and it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> again, know. it doesn't, nothing makes, nothing makes sense. And so I was like, no, I can't jinx it. I can't, I don't want to be, I want to want to get excited about this baby. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. It was torturous. Yeah, It was, it is hard to describe how traumatic that is. And so when I went into labor, we didn't know what was going. I was of course scheduled to give birth or 2 weeks early. I was scheduled for an induction. Found out my water was leaking like actually 5 weeks early. Went to the hospital and it was happening. He was coming. And I weirdly was pretty calm. I felt like I had some some special energy on my side. I will say Jake was not calm. His family was not calm. I mean, I didn't see this, but they tell the story of how they're in the hallway and they're just Jake's in tears they're in tears, they don't know what's happening, everyone's scared, and a nurse comes up and is like, why are you crying? This is a happy day. Oh my gosh, everything is great, la la la. And of course, bless her heart, she had no idea the trauma that everybody was suffering and how terrified everybody was. Here I am, five weeks early, coming off of everything that I had come off of Last time I was in a hospital, I had a dead baby and so but I'm happy to report that after an emergency c section, this little four pound firecracker came out healthy and strong, Milo, and he was four pounds wasn't he was so strong he didn't even get sent to the NICU oh my goodness, so barely got to take him home because he was so tiny to like fit in his car seat. And so in that within that timeline, you have the miscarriage, you have losing boyd, you have grieving, you have getting pregnant, you have nine months of intense just like holding our breath. You have a new mom. You have breastfeeding. You have a full year with no sleep. This kid woke up every two to three hours for a year. Gosh. And and I wanna also not like talk to the trauma of once this baby was out. Jen, we stared at him all night, so terrified that he would die. That is, I mean, every day. Will he die? What if he dies?
0: <laughs> it was crazy. It sounds, it, it's a natural
1: response. Yeah.
0: In your experience. Yes. Right? Your babies die. My babies die. That's your experience so mm-hmm. far. So-
1: That is trauma. Yes. And so when you're like, oh, I'm cuddling my baby and this is so wonderful. And please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Yes. Every night before I went to bed, I would say, please (laughs) don't die. Every single night. And if I didn't, I thought, oh, my God, did I curse myself because I forgot to say, please don't die. I mean, so I kind of I don't know if I've even ever told anybody that before, but those are the crazy those traumatic things that live within you. So even though Milo was here and he was healthy and he was thriving, we were still experiencing all of that trauma. Yeah, every single day. So that was another year of again, no sleep and breastfeeding and all this mm-hmm. all the So, yeah, it was hard, but there was also all of these wonderful things, the joy that Milo brought back into Not only us, but our whole family was really a beautiful gift. And then when Milo was three, after we had thought we couldn't get pregnant again, because we had tried. So then there was another couple, like a year or two of trying to get pregnant. Never happened. And we got pregnant when we thought, oh, we're done. And we got pregnant. And we were like, okay, this is this miracle, baby. I guess we are meant to have another child. Mm -hmm. And we had told our close family and of course, we were nervous and, and all the same thing. All the all of the old traumas came back. Sure. And we went to our first appointment and it was great. It was, we had an ultrasound, the baby was moving. It was great. The baby was big. So they thought I was like 14 weeks along. Milo came with us. So I believe he was three and we told him about the baby. And he was so excited, talked about the baby all the way home and the baby this, the baby that. And I woke up in the middle of the night with, I thought I was constipated. I had such a stomach ache and it was a weird stomach ache. And I didn't know I was, I was like, oh, this is so bizarre. Not one time did I think that anything was wrong with the baby because I had just seen the baby. Yeah, The baby was fine. Yeah. Everything was great. And as the night progressed and then I woke Jacob and I said, something's weird. Like my stomach hurts. I think I'm constipated. I don't know what's wrong, but it just hurts really bad. And again, this is like two in the morning. And then I went and laid in the bathtub and like just splashed scalding hot water onto my stomach. And as I was doing that, I had a flash back to when I was in labor with Boyd and I was in the bathtub in the hospital. And I was like, oh shit, this isn't constipation. These are labor pains.
0: You knew what it was then.
1: I knew what it was. I didn't say it out loud, I didn't say it to Jake, but I knew. And then I, w- I felt like I was going to... I felt like I was going to poop, felt like I was going to go to the bathroom, so sat on the toilet, and you know, this is, this is very real, So if this is triggering in any way, you know, I just caution you, but I want to mm. be really real. I sat on the toilet, felt like I was going to go to the bathroom, and I pushed. And this whooshing came out. And Jake, as innocent as he was in that moment, said, oh, my gosh, do you feel better? Oh, good. And I said, oh, honey, no, that was the baby. And he said, what? And I went and sat back into the bathtub while he fished the baby out of the toilet.
0: And that is a very real experience Yeah, for a lot of women. That's a very real experience. I know it sounds really harsh and it sounds really just more than you you're pre- prepared to understand or, or hear, but it's a reality for so many women that's how that happens.
1: And I didn't probably realize that. You know, my first miscarriage was very different. Mm-hmm. I had a DNC. Sure. And this was just so traumatic of knowing the baby was fine ten hours before. And then it wasn't. And again, the shock, right? In none of the losses was I prepared. Yeah, no. With Milo, I was prepared. I was like, okay, he could die. He's probably going to die. It's wow. not going to happen. And then with this, I was like, oh, this is our miracle baby. This yeah. was a the baby's fine. Just the shock is so unnerving. And again, not to sound crass, but I was like, I already have a dead baby. Don't I get a dead baby card? Right. Yeah. Right. I'm done with that. Yeah. I already, yeah. Did, already did that. Yeah. No. That's not how the universe works. It isn't. It's not how nature works. It's not how anything works. We want it to
0: work that way. Right. I mean, that's yeah, be better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't.
1: And I found myself at five in the morning Googling how to tell your child that their babies died. And Milo came into our bed at at about five thirty and he said, Mom, I want to feel the baby. Like he remembered instantly. I want to feel the baby. I wanna can I hold the baby? And it just so we went to sleep and then the next morning we had to tell him as well as call all of our family again, which was, you know, we were about to tell grandma and tell everybody. And I remember going to see Carol like two days later and she said, Sarah, I don't know what to say. You've already done this.
0: There aren't words. There She's were right. no words. <laughs> Even for her. Right? No. No. For the wisdom-toting, right genius, supportive, counselor, superhuman that she is. No words.
1: No words. Because there aren't. Mm -mm. And so then the next day after that happened, we went and bought a tiny wooden box. And it was a girl. We laid her in there and we went to the cemetery and we buried her on top of Boyd. And I would say probably a, a couple months later, maybe even a year, you know, Milo would talk a lot about his sister. And he, and he knows about Boyd. He talks about Boyd. And he said, she really needs a name, Mom. And he had this stuffed animal, a uh, stuffed unicorn called Uni. And he said, let's name her Uni. And I was like, no, we are not naming her Uni. <laughs> and then he said, I know. Let's name her Luna because she lives in the sky. Oh, my God. And I thought, yes. That's perfect. That's perfect. Oh. So Milo named Baby Luna.
0: That's so sweet. (laughs) That is so sweet. I just, sometimes from the kids, right? Mm. We get the the best little nuggets and even a name. We
1: do. And they're able to process and understand it in such a different way than we are able to Mm -hmm. through their lens. Actually, if you don't mind, can I read one more thing? Yes, let's, please. Okay this was after Boyd had passed away. It was probably three months later. And we, had, we were celebrating birthdays of our nieces and nephews. And I just remember I didn't want to go. I just Everything hurt. Everything was hard. But no, nope, we're going. We're going to be with our family. And we were in the hotel room and our nieces and nephews were probably, gosh, they must have been like three or four. And it was from their conversations that I went home and rewrote this. It's called Tiny Questions. Oh, you lovely little souls, you innocent darling children, so young, so small, so protected from life's cruel existence, you, my loves, the only ones brave enough to speak from your heart. You're shushed by the adults, but no one knows how relieved and happy I am to hear your questions. Where is your baby? Oh, my darling, I ask myself this every day, but why isn't he here? Who will sleep in this crib? Was it a boy or was it a girl? Oh, yes, yes. Remember, it was a boy. But I wish it was a girl. Oh, I wish others were as brave as you. I wish I was as brave to ask the hard questions, to ask them out loud, to ask about my baby, your cousin, to remember him. No one is as courageous as you to look at me and to see that I am lost, that I am missing something, and to ask where he is. Why is he gone? Where did he go? oh, I don't know, my darling. I don't know.
0: That is so sweet. I they do right the the kids they ask and they with such innocence, yeah, and and truth and truth and so much more brave than and the adults. They're not scared <laughs> like crazy. to ask
1: those questions yeah. because, of course, they don't know. And so, while the adults were like, "Oh my gosh, she's asking about the baby," they didn't realize how comforting that was oh. to me. Oh my gosh, someone acknowledged that he's not here. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be here.
0: And that he should be here. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging them. That's right. I feel it all the time, right? Yeah. Just it helps when you do too. Yes.
1: So So that was always really beautiful. You know, Boyd always or Milo always knew about Boyd. And now about Luna, of course. And so we talk about him. I mean, you know, it's in every com it's it's just a normal conversation, which I mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Boyd's name rolls off the tongue of us, of Milo, of our family, of our community members. I share the story of how after Milo was born, there was somebody that's like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I can't wait to meet Boyd. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean, Milo. And I was filled with so much joy, Mm -hmm. right? Because Everyone always gets siblings. They do names. It's mixed natural. Up. It's natural. Yes. And the fact that people can just say his name and it's normal. Mm-hmm. Feels so good. It does. And we we worked really hard on that to to keep that part of our story, of Milo's story, of our family story, keep his existence alive. Every year we celebrate with like a a t-shirt, Team Boyd t-shirt, whether it was like a walk we would do, or now we donate to ch- different charities in his name to keep it alive, to keep him alive. And yeah. this year is Team 9, Team 9, year 9 of year Team Nine, Boyd. Year 9, Team year Nine. Oh, yeah. I love
0: that. That's amazing. And I have to tell you, you are, you know, you talk about, and we've talked about, you know, being that person that at a certain point, you look at them and say, oh, my gosh, you are doing it. You're living. You're, you know, because as we sit here, you know, you're nine years out, team, team nine, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> team boy nine. Team nine. And, and I'm over here at five, yeah. right? And I'm just like four years from now. Okay. 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 It's okay to still do things for your child, to honor them, to remember them, to include them in your family, and, and you are still living.
1: Absolutely.
0: And it's so amazing to see, you know, for me to see that. I mean, I just think everyone needs that. So I, thank you for, for unwittingly you. That being that person <laughs> for me.
1: I really appreciate that. Well, and I appreciate you sharing that because there have been those people along my way, along my path of, wow. Look at her. She's surviving and thriving. right. They have a family. She has a business. Right. They have a great relationship. So seeing those other people that worked so hard to keep living or to find a new path, mm-hmm. or, I don't know, I, I struggle with the words to say because it's not that we found a new life, but we we found a way to live again. We found a way to live again. So tell us a little bit about soul space work. Yeah, soul space work really came out of me knowing that I needed to do something more. I needed to connect my soul with my work. That's really what it was about. I had moved from lots of nonprofit or profit work which I loved. I loved community work. When Milo was born, I I wanted something more part-time. So then I opened my photography studio, which I loved. I loved doing community events. I loved being with people, but I needed more. I needed to, I wanted to see people. I I see people and I wanted to help them on their journey, whether it was their business, whether it was an idea, whether it was something they were going through. And I couldn't quite put it into words of what it was that I wanted to do, let alone figure out like how the hell to make money from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I started working with a coach. A friend was working with a coach. She had made an impact in her life. And I said, gosh, you know, I love therapy. And I I go to therapy still, but a coach was different. The coach was like, I had a specific goal, something in my work life, something where this person was walking alongside of me and holding me accountable for. With Carol, we were doing different work. I was doing work on myself. I was doing work with Jake in our relationship with our grief process. So very much needed, but a coach had a little bit different approach and a different role. And so I sought out the help of a coach to to really explore, what do I want to do next? How do I connect my creativity with my past journey to use it to see people and help people? And so Soul Space Work was created, uh, really the name and the feeling before exactly I knew how it would play out. And there were people that were like, I don't understand.
0: What are you talking (laughs) about?
1: What are you doing? who's going to pay you for that? (laughs) And so it started with me doing consulting projects with different nonprofits or different businesses. And then after a really intense, really incredible coach program, I really saw of how I could use my past and my gifts With a coaching lens. And so, about a year ago, that's where I really started focusing. Soul Space work was individual coaching. I also help businesses, small businesses, new entrepreneurs on their journeys as well. Whether they want to help their employees to be all that they can be, maybe they want to build a more stable, healthy team. A lot of that is coaching, a lot of that is helping managers and supervisors understand how to see the humans in their team. Mm,
0: That's amazing. That's very, very important work.
1: And I believe in it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that when we as humans are happier and healthier and feel seen, we can be creative at work. We show up to work. We want to be there. We want to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. When we don't, when we're not honored, when our gifts aren't seen or appreciated or even what we're going through as a human isn't respected. That's when people leave. That's when people phone it in. Mm-hmm. You know, my belief is like, again, going back to after Boyd died, if they wanted Sarah Smith Warren, they needed to have all of me. They had to have the broken bits and the brilliant bits. And and how do you navigate that and honor that and respect it and also help people move forward? So whether your teammate or your colleague has suffered a loss, they're going through a divorce, they're caring for a sick child or a sick parent, how do we honor that and see them as a whole human? And it's hard. Mm-hmm. I-, I believe that as humans, we can do this mm-hmm. in our work lives. I don't like the term like of, of like, oh, leave your work at home or leave home at home when you go to work. I'm going to be me no matter where I'm at. I'm bringing that trauma with me to the office, that hurt, that pain.
0: Yeah. And I think I think something can be said too about, as you mentioned, the broken bits, mm-hmm. right? The broken bits can come together and create something amazing. I mean, that's the Absolutely. thing. We as a lost community always, always talk about the before me and the after me. Mm. And I'm not saying the before me was a bad person by any means, but the after me is a much better version of myself, a much better version of myself that's that's more committed to my community and more committed to the things that I find important and valuable. Mm-hmm. So truly do yourself a favor and and help build that person back up on your team because they can be an incredible asset and they are going to be a better
1: version of themselves at some point. That is so beautifully said. Thank you for saying that in a way where you see that. And it is so true. Mm -hmm. It is so true that unknowingly those broken bits create this beautiful awareness and capacity. And it's not always going to look pretty. Right. But it's real. But it's real. I really love that. And I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And so soul space work, again, really wants to value the soul in the work, I want to find the soul in the work. I want to find work in your soul. And so a lot of my clients are individuals and/or businesses that that want that. They want to feel something for their work. They want to find that passion or they want to build work from their passion. And I believe that. I believe we can. I believe we can find that. So I walk alongside them. Coaching is walking alongside, it's helping you create a plan. helping you stick to the plan. It's helping you to see different pieces that you may want to explore along the way. Sometimes it's ripping up the plan and starting over (laughs) or going a different direction, but it's really about seeing my clients and being with them along the way. Perfect. How do we reach you? Where can you be found? Soulspacework.com. You can join the community online. You can call me You can email me. Soul Space Work is also on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. We will link all of
0: those in the show notes. So you can find all of that there. And absolutely, go check out Sarah Smith Warren. She's got a beautiful website. Lots of information there. All kinds of things you can gather from there. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your deeply personal story with us and with our listeners. I know that folks out there are going to find it so valuable. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I also want to thank the listeners and the people who are hurting. You are seen and you are honored and reach out to people.
0: Do. Yes.
1: Do. We need you. We need your stories. And thank you for continuing on. And thank you for Haven for really providing a beautiful, safe space to do that and to honor that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Until next time, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a lost journey of your own or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, Please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about The Lost Journey or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org and while you're there, consider donating. This podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together.
1: You are.